Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. And you know, all of us could use some help when it comes to self-restraint. I think we could use a lot of it, not only in our private lives, but in our public lives. We're going to learn about that today from 1 Samuel 24, the story where David cuts off a corner of Saul's rope rather than outright killing him. That's going to be the topic today. Dr. Rebecca Rhea is going to be our teacher. Of course, you can learn more about her at RebeccaRee.net. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you. And I'd just like to put in a little plug that um, the website has been completely relaunched. So uh, a whole new, whole new thing. Yeah, it's quite lovely too, by the way. I went and checked it out and it is well done. So congratulations on that. Oh, thank you. I had a lot of help. <laughs> well, no, I, I figured you got help because that was very professionally done. And most of us don't have that skill set to create a website. No, and uh, uh, Hebrew Bible scholars in particular. <laughs> exactly. So I'm excited to jump into 1 Samuel 24 today. I've always been fascinated by this passage, and I'm looking forward to learning about self-restraint. Yep. Well, I definitely, the, the topic came to me because I felt like um, it's just so sorely absent in our public, as you said, public and private lives these days. Um whether it's watching politicians go after each other or reading what people post on social media, it's really shocking how often we, we just seem to let it rip yeah. you know, without much thought for consequences. And unfortunately, Christians are no exception. I mean, we can be incredibly reckless in what we say and do. And it's worse, I, in my opinion, it's worse in our case because we have the Bible to teach us about self-restraint. So we should know better. It could be a slippery slope, though, Rebecca. You have a little bit of irritation, um, then you get a little bit more irritated, a little aggravated, and all of a sudden something comes out, and then all of a sudden it comes out even bigger. So yep. no one is immune. No one is immune, yep. but um, it's important to remember, if you're a believer, you have the seed, and it all starts out with that seed of truth. Amen to that. Uh, yep. One of the lovely fruits of the Spirit, self-control. Yes. Yep. Thank you for reminding me. That's in the other half that I don't know as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how do we want to um, dissect this one today? Okay. Samuel so, 24. Um, so today, as we talked about before, the Bible story about self-restraint features King Saul and David. It's found in 1 Samuel 24. And I it's not long, so I want to read a slightly abridged version of the story okay. for the sake good. of time. But two little things, two little caveats I want to put in there. Um, first is um, you're going to hear the word Lord a lot in the story. And sometimes it means my Lord. In the Hebrew, it's the same word just as it is in the English. Sometimes it just means like a human Lord, like my Lord and master, mm -hmm. I work for you. And then sometimes it means capital L, the Lord. 
Yes. So I'm going to read the story as if I was reading from an amplified version of the Bible. And when I'm reading about the Lord, I'm going to say Lord God. Okay. I like that. And then the rest of the time when you just hear Lord, you know, it's a human Lord we're talking about. Okay. Okay. And then the last little Easter egg I'm going to give you is in this story, there's a part of the body that gets mentioned over and over and over And I want you to listen carefully and see if you can identify it by the time we reach the end of the story. Okay. And if if you if you can't, I'll tell you. Okay. (laughs) Well, there's 22 verses in First Samuel 24. So if you have your Bibles open, First Samuel 24. And if you're driving, just listen carefully as Dr. Rebecca Ree reads this passage. Okay. So here we go. Now it came about. When Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Ein Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men. And he came to the sheepfolds on the way, and there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord God said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. And it came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord God that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord God's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord God's anointed. And David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to, to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. Now afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you? Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord God had given you today into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord God's anointed. Now, my father, see, indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. Know and perceive that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands. And I have not sinned against you. So you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord God judge between you and me. And may the Lord God avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A single flea? The Lord God therefore be judge and decide between you and me. And may he see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Now it came about when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? Then Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, 
You are more righteous than I, for you have dealt well with me while I have dealt wickedly with you. And you have declared today that you have done good to me, that the Lord God delivered me into your hand, and yet you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? May the Lord God therefore reward you with good in return for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. So now swear to me by the Lord God that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's household. And David swore to Saul and Saul went to his home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. And that concludes the reading of 1 Samuel chapter 24. And Rebecca, what translation do you read in? I read from the New American Standard because from the Hebrew Bible point of view, it's more faithful to the Hebrew. Awesome. Thank you for that. I was just curious, as I'm sure many other listeners were as well. So did you get the word, the body part? I'm going to go with hands. Yay! I was a little nervous there. (laughs) Well, you know, you're absolutely right. The narrative uses the word hand 11 times in those 22 verses. And eight of those times are in David's mouth. Hmm. So what do we learn from this? I've, always, I've said before in other shows that when the Hebrew Bible repeats something, it's almost like, you know, when you're moving along um, on, on the highway where there's road work and you see the blinking lights, stop, slow down, see what's going on, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, that, this is especially uh, what is hand, what's the significance from that? So, Let's put the story in context first before we get into that discussion. Um, David is on the run from King Saul, who used to be his royal patron and commander. Um, Saul got jealous of David because his military victories were winning him great notoriety amongst the people. And so David finally had to flee the royal household because Saul tries to kill him. So David travels about with a band of loyal fighters, and he lives like a bandit, basically, always looking over his shoulder for the king to attack. In this particular story, Saul is coming after David with 3,000 choice soldiers. And David and his men are hiding in the wilderness inside of a cave. And when Saul goes into that cave to take care of some of his bodily needs, he is completely exposed to David. But instead of seizing the moment and killing the king, David secretly cuts off the edge of Saul's royal robe. Hmm. Then and only then, when he has this sort of forensic piece of evidence in his hand, does David dare address the monarch who has gone to such great lengths to assassinate him. That little piece of cloth is David's ticket to plead his case. Yeah, that's his bargaining chip, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So the question we're going to put to this story is, what is in David's hand? What does that cloth represent? Mm. Um, And then we'll move to, hey, maybe you got a cloth in your hand, too. And what's that represent? Oh, I love that. We're already talking application. And we're just (laughs) just getting started. (laughs) I know. You always offer this, which is great. So, um, all right. I, I think you set the groundwork. Uh, well, we've got the story read, and we've got we've we're ready to go and move forward now. 
Okay, so on the most obvious level, we can see that the cloth represents power, right? Either the power to hurt or the power to spare. And on the surface, it looks like King Saul and his magnificent army have all the power. But all those mentions of hand in David's mouth are going to show us otherwise. So specifically, there are three types of power that David is holding in his hand with that cloth. Three types of self-restraint that help everyone avoid a bloodbath. So let's go over the first one, which is David holds the power to be humble. And, you know, as I studied this text, I read it in the Hebrew and I read it in the English. Um, as I read the text, I was struck by how full of humble language David's rhetoric is. The very first words out of his mouth to Saul as he, like, basically throws himself on the ground is, my lord, the king, hmm. my lord and king. Um, so besides calling Saul my lord, my king, he also uses a very intimate and respectful term. It kind of is kind of hearkening back to the relationship they used to have when he was, you know, living with Saul and friends with his Saul John, son, Jonathan. My, my father, he calls the, uh, Saul my father. Now my father see, indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand. So David makes sure to use all the proper honorifics mm. when addressing King Saul, in, in addition to throwing himself down on the ground. Um, and then on top of that, he's not done there. When referring to himself, he says, after whom has the king of Israel come out? A dead dog, a single flea, um, so contrary to the songs of praise that the people are singing about David as a mighty warrior at this time, David places himself so far down on the social ladder. Um, he just says, I'm nothing. I don't even know why you're, I'm no threat to you. I don't know why you're paying any attention to me. So just right off the bat, David's strategy here makes me wonder how far we could get diffusing a conflict bomb if we addressed others with the honor and humility that, that is uh, demonstrated here from the very beginning, you know, what would happen if we said things like, I know you have so much experience in this or it's, and so much knowledge in this area, but may I suggest something, you know, something that explain, like recognizes the other person's position, puts, puts yourself in a humble position and ask a question after whom is my Lord, you know, running. So um, just wondering about that, if we just start, started right off the bat from a humble position, or what would happen if we said nothing at all sometimes, but really listened as an act of humility until we are more sure of what the Holy Spirit actually wants us to speak. Oh. Um, and I, I know for myself, I am often guilty of focusing so much on what I want to say next, but I'm not really taking in what the other person is saying to me first. All right. A lot of wisdom there, Rebecca. And I'm, I just jotted down, be invitational versus confrontational. Yes. Yes. Which sounds yes. like that was David's approach, the, the honor, being honorific and also being humble, which I love. So we're going to stop there just for a second, take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue our study in 1 Samuel chapter 24 with Dr. Rebecca Reed. You can learn more about her at RebeccaRee.net. Brand new website. Make sure you go check it out. We'll be right back.
Welcome to the show. If you just checked in, we are talking to Dr. Rebecca Ree. We are covering 1 Samuel chapter 24, and we're going to learn a little uh, today about self-restraint, which I think is something we could all use a little help with, both in public and in private life. And so far, uh, we are uh, learning about uh, David's position um, with Saul and his humility and being invitational and not confrontational. And so far, Rebecca, I, I like what we're doing. Thank you. Well, the second thing is actually my favorite of the three things that are in David's hands. So we, the first one we've established is he's got humility in his mm-hmm. hands. But the second thing, which I find is most compelling um, of the things in David's hand, is he has the power to listen to his heart. So he has the power to listen to his heart. Um, let me read verse five and six again to you. And it came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. And David said to his men, far be it from me because of the Lord God, that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord God's anointed to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord God's anointed. Now, there are two parts in the Hebrew that I want to clarify for you. So this passage really opens up, and you can see that listening heart in David. So first, where it says David's conscience bothered him, that would be more literally rendered as David's heart struck him. The the, the word translation translated as conscience is lave. It means heart. It's, and in the Hebrew Bible, that's not like, Oh, I'm so in love. These feelings are coming out of my heart. It's not that kind of emotion. It's the place of decision making. Mm-hmm. Your heart is where you either go left or right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that. It's a. It's a deep and profound capacity of which emotions are a part. But I want people to kind of be clear. It's not really our modern understanding of the what of what the heart is. It's more profound than that. So his heart, and then bother. That word is really, um, when I looked it up, it's a physical word. Do you know, like in the Moses story, when he first sees um, an Egyptian beating up on a Hebrew mm-hmm. and then he, he intervenes, that beating word, that's the bother. It's, he, so his heart struck him. It's a very sort of visually uh, em- em- emphatic word. You know, it's it's a physical act of violence almost. So David's heart heart struck him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So that's the first thing that I wanted to um, clarify for you. I I appreciate that too, Rebecca, only because I think when we talk about heart, I think there's it's it's often understood today that people think it's the center of your emotions, and it's really the center of your decision making. Right. And emotions, again, play into that. Of course. But it's not, it's not the whole entity. Yeah, right. it's not the whole of it. Right. Um, and also, I would say, add this sort of off the cuff right now, is that often today people think, especially if you were to go on social media, and I don't go on it a lot, but people think that just going with your heart is just absolutely fine, that your, your heart should always just be leading you. If you feel something, well, then go with it. Whoa. You know, why would you, you know what I mean? Why yeah. would you, why would you take a moment to think about self-restraint? Your heart just spoke to you. So go with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we could do the rest of the show on that comment. <laughs> well, but this, this little passage here is going to show us why we need to give that a second thought. Okay. So, um, 
So David is in a place of real mental and emotional anguish here as he drowns in remorse for what he's done. And, you know, we might not think, so what, what, you know, he cut off the word, what has he done exactly? What, you know, let's work, let's look at the second part of the Hebrew that I wanted to bring out, which is, he says, um, far be it from me to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's, the Lord God's anointed. So let's look at that word anointed. It literally is Moshiach from which we get Messiah. Okay. So David is cut to the bone that he raised his hand, albeit in a limited way, against the man he knows is God's Messiah King. So take a note of the context here. Do you, do you hear how David's men are like egging him on? Mm-hmm. You know, they're saying, it's, it's the Lord God's will for you to take matter into your own hands. Didn't God say that, the, that you know, this would be your moment to let loose? And I looked, I was looking back and forth in the text. I don't ever, I never found a, a, a part of the text that, where God actually says to David, oh yeah, when you find Saul, go ahead and let loose. Yeah. Like, I don't know where the men are getting there, but they're getting that from, but they're claiming that it's God's word to David. And the phrase that's, um, and you shall do what seems good to him, literally gets tra- uh, tra- translated as, you shall do what is good in your own eyes. And then when we hear that phrase, we often think of ju- judges where everyone yes. did what was right in their own eyes. So they're like, let it rip, David. You know, God gave you this opportunity. Go ahead and do what's in your own eyes. Hmm. Um, that never sounds good to me. Nor should it. I don't know a single case, at least in the Hebrew Bible, where that's a good idea. Yeah, um, or in American life. Yeah, that's true. So what I think all of this means is that while there may be moments that call for drastic action, we are never absolved of self-restraint. We are never to take matters into our own hands and do what is right in our own eyes. And we have to have a heart that remains so open to God that when he course corrects us, despite what other people are claiming, we hear and obey him even under enormous pressure and a lot of God talk. Mm. Love that about David. He can course correct. Yeah, I love that too. All right, Rebecca, I'm going to pause at this thought because I need to chew on this one during the break because it's so, okay. it's so good. And I love that we are never off the hook when it comes to self-restraint. So we will be back in just a minute. If you have never signed up for the prayer devotional email, I really recommend you do it. You can start each week with a moment of prayer and reflection with our Faith Radio prayer devotional email. You can sign up today at myfaithradio.com. After a short break, we'll be right back with Dr. Rebecca Ree. And as we continue our study in 1 Samuel chapter 24, be right back. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. 
We are learning about self-restraint today with Dr. Rebecca Ree. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 24, and she, as always, takes us on a treasure hunt through the Old Testament, and we are uh, learning about David and Saul, and so far we've covered two points well. Um, David has incredible humility, and he also has power to listen to his heart, two things that I think are very important. We're going to have application towards the end of the hour. You're not going to want to miss any of this. All right, Rebecca, where do we pick up? Number three? Okay, so um, number three, but one last thing I just want to say to anyone out there who has trouble turning back to God when your heart strikes you. Maybe you feel too guilty or unworthy to turn back to God when you feel that, like, striking of your conscience, striking of your heart. You just have to stop and remember that that is precisely the response that God wants from you. Whether you feel worthy of forgiveness or not, um, so much more could be riding on listening to your stricken heart than you actually know. Mm. So, well, t- Say a little bit more about that, because that's kind of important. I know for myself, when I know that I've messed it up, like maybe I listen to those voices that are egging me on, yeah. you know, or taken some liberties that, you know, figured, well, yeah, maybe I should do what's right in my own eyes. And then you you have that moment where the Holy Spirit says that was not the right way. Hmm. You don't want to come back immediately today uh, to to God because you don't feel worthy of that. Um, the the enemy would have your stricken heart stay on the ground. Okay. Now God I, wants your stricken heart to stand up. Now you're getting personal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this feels like an experience I've had with more regularity than I would wish to admit to. So, yeah, say, you know what, God, we're going to do it your way. Okay. You want me to keep moving? I'm going to get up with, you know, I'm going to use the stricken heart however you want me to. Okay, that's a pretty important uh, point you've just made. I, I assume we'll get back to that towards the end. Yep. And so you, you want to hear the, uh, the third thing that David oh, has in his town. Absolutely, and yes. So that is the power to forgive. Now, let's spend a moment talking about what it means to forgive in this story and what it doesn't mean. Okay. Okay. And and we have to go through a little bit of David's history here. If we if we look closely at the story, nowhere do we find any admission of guilt on David's part. And that's significant because in other places in the Bible, David knows how to confess. You know, with when when Nathan came to him about Bathsheba, he said, "I have sinned against the Lord." Psalm fifty one, um, against you and you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David is a confessor. He's a repenter. He, maybe that's why we call him the man after God's own heart. He knows how to repent. But we hear no such language in, his story, in this story. In fact, we hear the opposite. The very first words out of David's mouth to Saul are, why are you listening to the words of men saying, David, behold, David seeks to harm you? Um, David is very emphatic about the, his innocence before Saul. And in the original text, he says, see, three times, see, 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 he's you know, putting that cloth out. Look, look what I'm trying to tell you. You know, you've been listening to the wrong verses. I'm, in, I'm innocent. Um, and sometimes in our case, we looked and when we're, we were having conflict, we think, okay, it's a 50-50 situation. Bo- both parties are at fault. It's easier to ask. I mean, extend forgiveness in a case where you can say, okay, I see that I was partly wrong in this. I contributed to this situation. So, okay, I I will take a step in the direction of forgiveness. But this story would indicate that 
even in those exceptional cases where we are absolutely not at fault, we are still to show self-restraint. Mm. Very high standard. That is a high standard. You set yeah. the bar really high all of a sudden. Yep. <laughs> well, it's, I, didn't, I didn't do the setting, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. You reminded us of where the setting is. So um, David very boldly says to Saul, my crazy exile is all on you. And um, I have not sinned against you. Um, So forgiveness in this story doesn't mean overlooking the wrong that's done to you or assuming guilt for things that are not your fault. David is not going to budge on that point. Um, Instead, David's enactment of forgiveness is to take Saul's actions on the one side. You can almost picture like a scale, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, Saul's actions are on one side, his own actions are on the other side, unequal as they are in terms of guilt. And he submits both of them to the Lord for the Lord God to assess. Twice in the story, he says some form of, may the Lord God judge between you and me. Did you hear that when the story was going, may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. Yeah, verse 12. Yes, and also verse 15. Mm -hmm. May God plead my my cause and deliver me from your hand. Yeah. Let me so, read, let me read 12 ahead. again, Rebecca. May the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord take vengeance on you for me, but my hand shall not be against you. Yep. Not my place. Yeah. Wow. Not my place. There's some self-restraint. Yep. So then the question becomes where in the world does David get the power to restrain himself when we consider the fact that he considers himself 100% innocent? And, you know, wh- where? where? Where does he get the power for self-restraint? And where are we going to get the power for such self-restraint when we feel like we've been treated totally unjustly and want to take things into our own hands and other people are egging us on? And I think the story points back to this one critical be- belief that David has in his hand. And that is this. I mean, don't lose sight of this. This is like one of those underlying highlights. Saul is God's anointed. And whatever David may think of him, it is not for him to decide Saul's fate because Saul is God's anointed. I would like to go back to the story and count how many times he calls Saul, you know, the Lord God's anointed. Um, Deciding Saul's fate is God's and only God's place. And he's not going to interfere with any plans that God might have for the king. Mm-hmm. Now, imagine yourself standing before someone who has caused you serious and far-reaching harm. I doubt anybody in a, you know, li- listening would probably say, yeah, this person actually tried to kill me more than once. Like, I've been on the run. I've been a, I've been a fugitive. And all I did was serve this guy, and this is what I get in return. Um, So imagine standing before someone who has offended you, who has caused you serious and far-reaching harm. And, you know, you've got the perfect word you want to say back. You've got the perfect scripture you want to quote in their direction. You even know how to catch them when they're most vulnerable. And you know others are going to take your side if you do it. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine that person's face. And across that forehead is written a word. And it's not anointed, but appointed. At 
birth, God inscribed that name on that person. And he identifies them as someone he wants to, wanted to bring into existence, someone uniquely created in his image, someone he plans, has plans and purposes for that you know nothing about. Moreover, this person was someone Jesus was appointed to live and die for. And ultimately, he wants to redeem that person just as he has redeemed you. That person is God's appointed. Mm. And as I think about that, and as I picture that, that forehead, I feel so much less confident about lifting my hand against another that I'm angry with, and justly so. And I hope that we have faithful friends in our lives that tell us to pause before we act that they say, you know what, you need to vent your feelings. So either vent them to me or vent them to God or whatever. But that person is God's appointed. Don't forget you have no business meddling with their fate. God has plans for them. Mm -hmm. So, um, so what is the result of taking this appointed course of self restraint of these three things that we've talked about? of um, exercising humility, of listening to our hearts, and forgiving. And there's um, two major ones that I could see, which was the first was restraint breeds restraint. And we see towards the end of the story that Saul's speech begins to mirror David's speech in two respects. So like I said before, there was some old, you know, they were intimate in their lives at one time. And um, the first thing I noticed was old intimacies seem to creep into Saul's language. So David calls Saul, my father. And then Saul in verse 16 says, is that your voice, my son? Hmm. So you see that um, coming back to life again. And it's almost like once more, both parties can see the humanity in each other. And that's where it all begins, isn't it? When we start looking at other people and not even seeing them as, forget God's appointed. You don't even see them as a human being. When we can begin to start seeing the humanity in each other and the relationship that we bear one another again, that's where it starts. You know, we have a tendency of putting people in a category and doing it quickly. And we're not seeing an image bearer of God. We are not seeing something other than uh, a, a perfect creation of of the Lord. We're we're seeing whatever angers us, and we're putting people in boxes really fast. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I, I don't like that about yeah. myself. Um, I don't think anybody does, uh. <laughs> or I hope nobody does. But the story definitely um, gives us some thought thought about it. But um, and the other thing that the David's restraint um, breeds is. Saul grants David the gift of self-restraint when he, you know, he says, okay, I'm not going to pursue you anymore. I'm not going to try to kill you. I'm, you know, you're right. I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. He, Saul then asks for restraint in return. He says, please, you know, I know that the kingdom of Israel is going to be given to you now. And please don't kill off all my descendants from my father's household. Swear to me that you won't do that. You will exercise restraint when it comes to my house. So I think that's very interesting that, you know, he's finally ready to um, admit David's amazing destiny, that he's going to be replaced by destiny. And since David has shown restraint, then he has a prayer of asking David 
please show restraint to my house, just mm. as you have here now. So um, the Apostle Paul, who knew a thing or two about showing no mercy or restraint when, he came, when it came to Christian believers in his earlier life, uh, wrote this. He wrote in Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in, tr- in time of need. So in other words, it means don't go striking another person in your hurt and in your anger. That's not going to help you in the end. No matter, even if you feel like, oh, it's going to initially make me feel better, it's not going to help you. Um, the only one who can heal you because he is calling you from his mercy seat and wants to put everything in your hand is God. And he wants to give you all the power to overcome that challenge of someone having offended you, no matter how deeply. We're talking to Dr. Rebecca Ree and self-restraint. We're in First Samuel chapter 24. Rebecca, so... What about anger that, that you, you do it just in your heart? You're not really striking out, but you're just holding that anger in your heart. That's got to be almost every bit as dangerous. Well, Jesus does speak, speak specifically. He does say, if you even, you know, say to someone, you idiot, right. you're guilty of the fires of hell. And so I would think that and he also said words that you say out loud issue from your heart. So I would think if, you, if it sneaks into your speech, you can pretty much assume it's, it's, it's uh, burning in your heart. Yeah. Um, and that is a way of consuming. You know, it's almost like um, drinking Drano, you know, the drain cleaner. Which I've never <laughs> done, by the way. <laughs> and may you never. No, I hope never, never to. <laughs> but it's, it's so corrosive. Do you know what I mean? Like it, there's, there's, we can't, we think we can handle our emotions um, safely and mm-hmm. with, with skill. But we don't really realize how, in the end, it's really going to just eat us up. Yeah, and kill you, and it, actually. And it's going to bleed into other parts of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, this show does not endorse drinking Drano in any capacity. <laughs> right. <laughs> I better make that clear. The opposite. All right, let me take a short break. We'll come back, do some applications on self-restraint with Dr. Rebecca Ree. You can learn more about her at RebeccaRee.net. We'll be right back. Dr. Rebecca Reed, we're talking about 1 Samuel chapter 24, learning a little bit about restraint today. And Rebecca, before we move on with some of my questions, I bet you've got some cleanup to do as far as, far as the applications. Well, I would just say this, these two little things, and they're not so little, but they're easy to remember, which okay. is overall, and the whole book of Proverbs could be summarized by like two words, speak Less. I I think if we use that as a rule rule of thumb, 
we would probably have a shot at letting God strike our hearts, beginning to learn to discern what is people egging us on and what is truly the voice of God, letting um, others actually show their hearts to us and, you know, beginning to see that mirror of ourselves in them. Mm-hmm. And, and so speaking less um, does give us a, a ton of opportunities. I think it's always safer to speak less. I think it's always uh, you run into more trouble. As a rule of thumb, you run into way more trouble when you speak more. Um, I think there's actually a proverb that says where many words are, um, sin, sin abounds. So um, speak less. I wonder. Then, oh, I would just wonder what the percentage is of people listening that would say, um, "I wished I would have said more," or "I wished I would have said less." <laughs> <laughs> I wonder which would win. I have a feeling well, I wished I would have said less would probably win. Yes, and the only time that I think when you have when you say, "Gee, I wish I would have spoken more," if you did you didn't speak more because you didn't know at the time, I think then that that promise that I think Paul said about don't be worried about what you're going to say because God's going to give you what you need to say in the moment. You can always say, Lord, I missed that chance. I didn't know what to say in that moment. Can you, can you give me another chance? Mm -hmm. Um, And then that chance can come. And then sometimes that chance comes in a time, in a timely manner, which makes it actually way more powerful. So, yeah. Okay. Even if you even if you choose the gee, I wish I had said something. There's a better chance that you might get to still say something. Mm-hmm. Now the the um, topic of self restraint is clearly one that I don't know if I would have seen prior to this study. I, I certainly would think that's in my brain somewhere, but I I think of the the symbolic act of cutting off the corner of Saul's robe was something relative to, you know, the kingdom being taken from or torn from Saul and being given to David. Yeah, that is, that is the second time a robe is involved. Okay. And, and, um, in Saul's, uh, future, which is not, uh, which is, a almost like an omen of, you know, you didn't fulfill your destiny in the right way and there's going to be a price to pay. He's kind of, Saul is a tragic figure Mm -hmm. in the Bible. Um, so yeah, he, he, Often, and he, one of the things he uh, didn't show any self-restraint about was he took over some priestly duties. He was supposed to wait till the prophet Samuel got there mm-hmm. and he, and he just jumped in and did it himself. And I think that's one of the times, cause he was trying to say, no, stay with me, prophet Samuel and Samuel tried to get away. And that's when the class tore. Yeah. Rebecca, so. maybe we can chat a little bit about David's courage as he confronts Saul, because that obviously took a lot of restraint of course, which is part of the topic that we're talking about today. But um, there's a lot of courage there, and I think this world lacks some courage today. Um, I think courage is based on who am I going to trust? What am I going to trust? Because isn't that what courage comes down to? Yes. Um, So, you know, one of the things that Jesus said when, you know, in in more than one instance in his life, he's like— monumental moments like when he was tempted in the desert and the enemy was trying to get him to do all kinds of things and he refrained he he restrained himself and said you know 
I, I, I'm not doing any of this because I'm trusting in my heavenly father. Mm-hmm. He has, I'm going to trust in his plans. And then later on when he was being tried in that kangaroo court, you know, where they're trying to make him guilty and get him on the cross. Um, there's many times where, you know, Pilate's like, don't you understand that I have the power of life and death over you? And his attitude, he doesn't, he doesn't speak. His attitude is I could call down 12 legions of angels yeah. of my father's angels. And I'm not going to, because I'm trusting in God's plans to work the way out that they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. So that, that whole to show courage means you have, maybe you've been silent enough in your heart to know where you're supposed to place that trust. Mm-hmm. And Jesus did. He yeah. knew where to place it. So, if David is going to wear the royal robe, he knows it's got to come from the Lord's hand and not from his own. Yes, I would say that's probably true. And would be cutting off part of Saul's robe be intimating that that you can't take you can't take this by force. This has got to be the Lord's doing. You know, that's a very good question, and. Um... I was trying to look into a little bit, like, what does that mean symbolically when you cut the robe? And mm-hmm. I, I didn't show, find any answers that were satisfactory to me because I feel like culturally, historically, we just may not know the significance of that. Um, some people were saying, some commentators were saying it's, it's like um, a very, very uh, profound sign and symbol of the king's majesty and to, to do anything to uh, uh, ruin it or destroy it or mar it in any way is basically challenging that king's authority. Um, not sure. There's probably elements of that in there. Um, and David at this point has already been anointed by the prophet Samuel. So he knows the kingship is coming to him at some point. It must've been very confusing that he's running around like a fugitive after, mm-hmm. you know, he's been anointed already. Um, but that is a very good question. And just using, you know, just segging over to the word question, um, when we talk about self, self-restraint, one of the most precious, precious gifts that Jewish readers of the Bible and Jews, Jewish interpreters of the Bible have given me is the freedom and the um, impetus to ask a good question when you're reading the Bible. Do not be, don't, don't read the Bible passively, get in there, ask a good question. And when you're talking with others, I think the same rule applies. Again, it says speak less, ask more, Mm -hmm. find out more about what's going on in that person's heart. Find it, find out, find out more about, you know, what their situation is. What, what kind of battles are they facing that you know nothing about? Good point. So ask a good, speak less, ask a good, a good question. Yeah, that takes um, patience and maturity, Yes, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does in my yeah. life. Yeah, me too. All right, Rebecca, let's talk about Saul's remorse. Um, I'm not assuming it was super genuine. Didn't he return to hunt, hunt David after that? Well, um, there, the, um, he... He's the, at this point, you have to wonder, because it said at one point when he's, uh, when the whole thing with Goliath is going on, yeah. um, Saul is not necessarily of his right mind all the time, I think. I think you're right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he, he lost the guy who was basically functioning as his Prozac <laughs> right. um, to help him calm him down when he, and I don't mean to, like, embarrass anybody who takes medication, please don't take it that way. Um, I'm all for that. 
but I'm just saying he lost the person that offered him mental support right. um, in losing David. And um, so I'm not always sure he's in his right mind. And David, you know, I tried to look it up because David swears. He says, Saul says, swear to me that you're not going to hurt my house ever. And David swears. Um, but I looked and I, I, there was some killings after this. Yeah. So, you know, the, the modus operandi of the time is when the new king comes into power, you kill off, you know, all the previous admin, administration before right. you. Makes sense. So, um, and if you notice the very last verse of the story, they swear, but they don't go away together. Saul goes in one direction. David goes in the other. Mm-hmm. So. Interesting way to end. Rebecca, as always, the teaching is uh, in such depth, and your your study with Hebrew scriptures is so insightful. So thank you so much for talking today about 1 Samuel 24 and self-restraint. It's been very interesting. Thank you. I I hope in my own life that it begins to take root and blossom a lot more, because I certainly need it. Me me (laughs) too. Thank you very much, and have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Bill. You bet. Dr. Rebecca Ree has been my guest. You can learn more about her at Rebecca Ree, R-H-E-E. .net. Brand new website. Check it out. Have a great night and God bless. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.